This message is a ministry of Plainville Baptist Church. www.plainvillebaptistchurch.org Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Job 37. As we look at the sovereignty of God in the life of a Christian. Job 37, starting in verse 10. From the breath of God, ice is made, and the expanse of the waters is frozen. It's not Elsa, it's God who does that. Um, Sorry. Also with moisture, he loads the thick cloud. He disperses the cloud of his lightning. It changes direction, turning around by his guidance, that it may do whatever he commands it on the face of the inhabited earth, whether for correction or for his world or for loving kindness. He causes it to happen. Let's pray. Father, we pray you'd open our hearts to your word. Teach us from it today. Allow us to know your power and your great mercy and your loving kindness in our lives. Father, I pray and I thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. From this passage of Scripture, we see that God uses all things to accomplish His will, even the weather. And yet I believe that there are some Christians who tend to have a view that we are simply passive recipients of the sovereignty of God. We can't change anything. We, can't, we don't have any say in anything. There's nothing that we're able to do about what God is going to do. Sovereignty, in its simplest form, simply means that God rules over the world. God rules over the world, and in relation to that word, sovereignty, some Christians have with it, think it carries about an air of fatalism, and it pervades their mind as if the future is fixed and therefore can't be changed or affected by the Christian. A Christian might pray and resign himself to the very lackluster, well, your will be done, God. Because you're going to do it anyway, and I can't change that. That's not, though, how the Scripture speaks of God's sovereignty. The question we have to look at, and which we'll address in this this topic today, is does God actually intervene and change things in how He might have otherwise determined differently because someone prayed? In other words, might, have God, might, might God have decreed some other thing to come to pass that didn't because someone prayed and asked God to change it? Before we look at three aspects of God's intervention in these circumstances over what He has determined, I want to start with a couple of examples from Scripture before we look at other examples from Scripture in, this, in, in the introduction. 
Uh, one, of, one of the first ones that, that, that we see that, that's important is that of Abraham and Abimelech. In Genesis chapter 20, Abraham had this thought. He, he couldn't trust God enough to protect him and his wife as they traveled throughout the Middle Eastern world at that time. It was a dangerous place. Um, there, there was very little fear of God at that time, sort of like in our world today, in our country today. And so Abraham asked Sarah, he said, Sarah, listen, do me this favor, wherever we go, because you're a beautiful woman, say you're my sister, so that the people we go live among don't kill me because of you. So this happens. He moves down to the south in an area from uh, just north of Egypt today, where we'd have that, the desert area in, in Israel. And he came into the region of Gerar. And uh, he said, oh, this is Sarah, my sister. And uh, the king of Gerar took her for his wife. Well, God was going to make sure that his plan, God's plan to bring Messiah through Abraham would not be turned aside by this. And so he came, to, uh, he came to Abimelech, the king of Gerar, in a dream, in a vision, and he said, you're a dead man. You've taken another man's wife. And Abimelech says, what are you talking about? I, I didn't know anything about this. And he says, I know you did it. God says, I know you did it in the integrity of your heart. That's why I haven't let you touch her. So, this man is a prophet. And he's going to pray for you, and you're going to live. Now, wait a second. God knew Abimelech did this in the integrity of his heart. He knew that he wasn't, he didn't think he was taking another man's wife. So why didn't God just heal him and his family? He had closed the, the wombs of all those in his household, those in his harem. He had closed the, the wombs of all those women so they couldn't bear children, and he said, He's going to pray for you. I mean, God could have just said, okay, Abimelech, you're not going to die, and now your family can have children. But he didn't. He said, Abraham is going to pray for you. And I think in that, it wasn't just because God couldn't do that unless Abraham prayed. God had a purpose in Abraham praying. Abraham had to acknowledge his own sin in praying for Abimelech God, I didn't protect my wife. God, I didn't trust you enough to go where you call us to go and recognize you're going to supply all our need. And so in that, God had a purpose, but he wasn't going to do it until Abraham prayed. God changed the circumstance because of Abraham's prayer. Another example is, is Elijah. In 1 Kings 16, 17, 18, God tells Elijah, go meet Ahab and I'm going to send rain on the land. For the past three and a half years, there had been no rain on the land of Israel because God was judging them for their worship of idols. They were worshiping other gods besides the true God. And so God said to Elijah, go meet Ahab 
and this whole, uh, this whole event took place whereby the nation was turned back to worshiping the true God. The Lord is God, they cried. The Lord is God. But what happens next? Elijah goes. And, and, and he said this. Elijah went and he told Ahab, rain is going to come by my word. And so after that event, he went up on the Mount Carmel and he prayed, God, send rain. He prayed seven times until he saw evidence that the clouds were coming and forming and there was going to be rain. God wouldn't have done it apart from Elijah praying. Another example which shows the loving kindness and compassion of God toward you and me as sinners. And that is the story of Jonah. Jonah is told by God, go to Nineveh, that wicked city. They were, they were, they were a corrupt culture. Wicked, depraved culture. Go preach 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. Nineveh will be destroyed. And so finally, reluctantly, Jonah goes. He didn't go the first time. God had to teach him a lesson. Well, that's another story for another day. But he goes, and he goes into that city three days. He walks into that city, and he says, 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. And the people, from the smallest to the great, believed God. We're in trouble. We'd better pray and fast. Wait a second. God just said 40 days Nineveh is going to be destroyed. Didn't say how. Maybe something like the way Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed by fire and brimstone. Who knows? Maybe by an invading army. But they believed God. And they cried out in repentance. And, it says, and the scripture says that God saw that they turned from their wicked ways he heard their prayer, and he changed what he was going to do. He did not destroy them. So here, in this very thing, is something that God said specifically, I'm going to do this, and then he changes it when people prayed. See, that's the sovereignty of God. God rules over the world, and he chooses how he's going to rule over the world. And if his people call upon him, or if in this case, pagans who repent of their sin call upon him, he's going to listen and change. And so, I want to encourage you in this, this question, why should you pray to change the outcome of a situation that seems hopeless? Why should you even seek to know what God's will is so that you could pray that very thing? Why should you have confidence that God would actually hear you and answer in accordance to what you are asking Him? Even something that seems impossible, something that seems would never happen. Don't you for one minute believe that God is reluctant to hear the prayer of His people? So three things concerning this. Number one, God is able to intervene. God is able to intervene. In, in Isaiah chapter 59, it says, 
the Lord is speaking and he says, is the Lord's hand too short to be able to save or is his ear too dull to be able to hear? Is God unable to intervene? Not at all. No. In, in, this, in this passage in Isaiah 59, Isaiah is talking about a time in which there is great corruption in Israel. Uh, the condition of the people was terrible. Their sins had separated them from God. Their injustices had reached to heaven. And God says, I can still save. I can still hear. They thought that no one could deliver them, not even God. And God said, I'm going to do it for my own sake, for my own glory. God is able to intervene even if no one else can help. So you need to pray because God is able. Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse 17, Jeremiah says, You, Lord, made the heavens and the earth nothing. Is, did you hear him? He said nothing. Nothing is too difficult for you, but you don't know my circumstance. You don't know my situation. You don't know what's going on in my life. Nothing is too difficult for you. It, the converse, Jesus says it in, in, in the uh, corollary way. He, he says in Matthew 19, he says, with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. And one of my favorite set of verses, um, Ephesians chapter 3, in verses 20 and 21, Paul says, Now to him who is able to do far, exceedingly far, abundantly beyond all that you ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Uh, God is able to intervene. He is able to intervene. Secondly, God is not only able to intervene, God is willing to intervene. It's one thing if He's able and not willing, then we're stuck in the same situation. He is able to intervene. He is willing to intervene. And there are many passages throughout Scripture that describe God's willingness to intervene on your behalf. Uh, one is Jeremiah 33, 3. He, he says to Jeremiah, call to me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you don't know. Now, you might say, well, but that was Jeremiah. I mean, of course God is, is going to listen to Jeremiah the prophet. But you know what? Those men were no different than you and me. James chapter 5 says Elijah was a prophet who had the same nature as us. They're not special, different. The same nature as you and me. And what does James say? He prayed and God heard him. What does that say for you? When you pray, God will hear you. God can hear you. He's willing to intervene. He is willing to intervene. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. If you didn't like Jeremiah 33, 3, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, 
I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. But of course, you doubters, you're saying, yeah, but God was speaking to the nation of Israel. That was specifically for the nation of Israel, that He would help them and their nation. Okay, all right, but if you've been born again by the Spirit of God, you're one of God's people. And if you're calling out to God as one of His own people, will He not hear you when you turn from your sin and repent and call unto Him and seek His healing and His help? Of course He will. Of course He will. And, but still, some of you are not convinced. So how about Luke chapter 11? In verses 11 to 13, Jesus was giving this parable. He said this. He said, how many of you fathers, how many of you fathers, when their son asks for a fish, can we have fish tonight? Will he give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, he's making a contrast between us evil fathers and God, the good heavenly Father. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your own children, how much more your heavenly Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. God will hear you. He will intervene as you cry out to Him as, your, as, as His child. You know, I... Many times as a father, I had determined something, I had decreed something, I had said, we're going to do this, and one of my children, Daddy, please. You know, how do their eyes get so big when they do that? Please, Daddy, can we? And I've changed my decree because I heard my children. Do you think that you're better than God? Do you, do you believe that you're more kind than God is? Do you think you're more concerned for your children than God is for His children? Do you think yourself superior to believe God doesn't know exactly what is good and necessary for you, even if there's difficulty or trouble in your life? He is willing to intervene and act on your behalf even if He has been long delaying in His good and fatherly purpose to work out your holiness in a practical form. He is able to intervene. He is willing to intervene. And thirdly, He is waiting to intervene. I think one story that illustrates this so beautifully is that of Hezekiah in chapter 38 of Isaiah. Let me just read these five verses. In those days, Hezekiah became mortally ill. Okay, mortally ill, for you those that need that definition, that means he was going to die. Mortally ill. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. 
and said, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech you how I have walked before you in truth and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then, then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah saying, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of your father David, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. God had decreed that Isaiah go tell Hezekiah he's going to die. I mean, he sent his word through the prophet. Isaiah, uh, Hezekiah, you're going to die. And so Hezekiah prays, Oh, thank you, Lord, your will be done. No, he didn't. He might have said, oh, your will be done, Lord. That's it. He said, no. He said, God, please have mercy on me. Heal me. And God did. It's a great example here of God changing what he announced beforehand in response to the prayer of his child. God was moved by the prayer of Hezekiah. He is moved by the prayer of his people, but he is waiting to intervene. If you will not pray, he will not answer. If you will not pray, he will not answer. If Hezekiah had just said, well, it's all right, he would have died. He would have died. But the prayer of God's children moves him to rescind his announcement. Up, oh, this is going to happen. Please, God. All right. I'll give you 15 more years. His announcement to Hezekiah concerning his death was an example of how God is waiting to intervene until you pray. And so we, we see this. God wants to show Himself strong on your behalf for those who genuinely seek His face. How often, how long do you need to pray for something you know is God's will? Maybe a few days, maybe a month, maybe a year, maybe God is waiting to intervene. You know, the passage that Harold read this morning in Luke chapter 18, Jesus gave that parable to teach us that we ought always to pray and not quit because we can become discouraged in our prayer and quit. And he gave that example, that contrasting example between this widow and this judge And how willing and ready God is and able to answer. Here's this widow. She comes to this judge. Give me justice. Go away. Give me justice. Go away. Give me justice. Will you go away? I will go away as soon as you give me justice. And this reluctant judge is contrasted with a non-reluctant God who is willing and able and waiting to intervene. And I think 
that we are in such an age before the return of God, before Christ comes back, that it is going to be more and more difficult to find answers to prayer. Now, follow what I'm saying here. As as Satan and his demonic host ramp up their activity prior to, to Messiah's return, the preparation for Antichrist, they are sending greater and greater delusion into the world. They are stopping Christians from hear, hearing and getting an answer to prayer. Jesus said, because the love of many uh, lawless, because lawlessness is increased, the love of many will grow cold. Things are going to get darker and darker. It's going to be harder to hear from God in answer to prayer that we're going to have to persevere to get them. Why does it seem, we, we hear stories, we read of the great revivals that took place, and we see the answers to prayer that our fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers saw. And, and we seem to struggle praying, and God's not hearing us. I think one of the reasons here is that demonic activity has ramped up against the answers to God's people in praying. Why do I say that? If you look at Daniel chapter 10, we find an example of this. In Daniel chapter 10, Daniel had received this, this revelation from God, but he didn't understand what it meant. And so he was so desirous to know, God, what are you trying to tell me through this prophecy of what's coming up about the Messiah? It was about the Messiah when he would come, exactly when he would come. And even now you can trace from Daniel chapter 9 to the exact day when Jesus would have come into the temple. You, you can go back and you can look at that to present himself as Messiah. Daniel was like, Lord, what is this? And so it says he set himself to pray and ask the Lord. He began to fast and pray for 21 days. He, he fasted and prayed, and when Gabriel came on that 21st day, this is what he said. He said, Daniel, from the very first day, you set your heart to pray. You got it up there. You want me to read it? From that very first day that you set your heart to pray, the answer was sent. I came. But the prince of Persia, this demonic being, opposed me for 21 days until Michael the archangel was sent and got him out of my way. Now, I mean, how fast do angels move? They're, they're not constrained by the laws of physics. They can go faster than the speed of light. But they were held up by this demonic activity. And I always ask myself, what if Daniel had only prayed for 20 days? What if Daniel had said, ah, I'm never going to get an answer to that and quit praying on day 20? Ah, uh, don't bother going, Michael. God, should I go help Gabriel? Ah, uh, don't bother going, Michael. Daniel, quit praying. How much do you have to pray? I don't know. And I, and I feel that as, as we see the day of Christ's return approaching, it's going to get harder to hear those things that God wants. Does God want your family to be saved? He does. The Scripture says it clearly. It's something you ought to be praying for. Does God want your neighbors to be saved? Yes. The Scripture says it. Even those that aren't on the same ticket as you. 
He wants everyone to be saved. We ought to be praying for them and not quit. There are things you ought to be praying for and not quit. And there may be some things that you are not hearing an answer to, seeing an answer to, because they are being blocked spiritually. That may be one reason. But here's perhaps another question that I want to ask that's probably more troubling to think, well, okay, it's, it's maybe some demonic thing that's taking place, God's not hearing my prayer. But what about when God doesn't change something? It's not because of that. He doesn't change some difficult or disturbing circumstance, even though you've earnestly prayed for it, even though you've earnestly fasted for it, and you've kept it up. But it's constantly weighing on you, and it seems as if God will never remove it. He will never change it. He will never provide for it. What do we do then? Well, number one, thank Him. What? Thank Him. Philippians chapter 4 says, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Don't quit, don't quit praying, but thank Him while you're praying. Thank God. He knows what He's doing. He's caring for you. If He wanted to, He could have removed it right away, but He did not for some reason. If you have sought Him, if you have prayed, if you have fasted, if you have read His Word and sought His will and there's no answer, there's a reason why. He is carrying out a greater work in your life for a purpose beyond what you can see. Beyond what you can see. Mark chapter 14, in the garden, Jesus is praying. And this is the appropriate place to pray, not my will, but yours be done. He knew that the Father would not change His mind. He knew He had to go to the cross to accomplish eternal salvation for you and for me. He knew there was no other way to reconcile the world to Himself. And sometimes we have to realize the things that we're going through are because there's no other way that God can teach you the thing He's trying to teach you or to reach someone you've been praying to reach except you continue with that trouble, that difficulty. I remember one of my children, uh, I, was, I was taking one of my children to the hospital once. He, he was in severe pain. Uh, he, he, it, it, was, it was excruciating. It was hard for me to see it. And as we're driving to the hospital, he, he turns and looks at me and says, I know why this is happening. I said, why? There's someone at the hospital that needs to hear about Jesus. Can, can we pray? No, we don't need to pray. <laughs> of course we're going to pray. So we prayed. And we went there and we, we checked in. And, 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 and he nudges me and says, you give her a tract. Give her a gospel. Give her some gospel literature. And I did that. And we went through the triage and we went back to sit out in the waiting room. And um, as we're there, the next couple of minutes... He kind of, those wheelchairs aren't the steadiest thing. And he kind of falls out of the wheelchair and he looks at me and he says, I'm okay. I said, what? I'm okay. I, I said, walk. Walk. You, turn. 
He said, it was the lady that needed to hear about Jesus. <laughs> I went over. I said, excuse me. I said, we need to check out. I said, we're not going to see a doctor. Are you sure? He's okay. I'll sign this. Okay. We don't know why. But if we recognize God is going to use it, if he doesn't take care of it, there's a greater purpose that we don't know of. That's why Jesus calls you and I to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Excuse me. calls you and I to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Why? So all these other things that we can see God doing are added unto us. God, please, I don't know what's going on, but expand your kingdom for your glory through this. If you're going to experience trouble for Jesus' sake, Jesus said in John's gospel, every branch that bears fruit in me, He prunes. There's pain in pruning so that you may bear more fruit. God knows that what will be beneficial for you may be painful for you. What's troubling now will work out to a greater weight of glory later. Jesus said, uh, Hebrews said, Jesus, for the joy set before him, despised the shame when he looked to the cross. For the joy set before him, he despised the shame looking at the cross. And Paul noted that the temporary light afflictions that he endured, like being stoned to death or being whipped 39 times or being shipwrecked, all those light afflictions were working a greater weight of glory that could not be compared with the glory of heaven. In Romans 8, God, sa God says that he uses the trouble in our life to conform us into his image to carry out His work, to do His will. But know this, if you don't pray, God won't answer, God won't hear, God won't work, because He is able to intervene, He is willing to intervene, He is waiting to intervene in your life. And why is that? Why is He able to do that? Why is He willing for you and me, these rebellious, sinful creatures of His, because of the cross? Because of the cross, because of His love for us, He is able to intervene. He is able to come to us. He is able to hear and respond because there is a payment for our sin that's able to be applied to us so that we can have a relationship with Him as a father and His child. Otherwise, we would be guilty sinners separated from Him. It's the death and resurrection of Christ that brings us to Him, that allows us access. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, therefore by faith, having been justified, we have access into this grace in which we stand. We have access with God. And so we see this, the cross. And, and let me say, if, if you're here today, without ever, you've never been born again by the Spirit of God. There's never been a time in which you've received Christ as your Savior. He died and rose again for you. 
and you need to see and recognize you need to receive him. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day for you to come to him because he did that for you so you could be reconciled to him. And if you've never been, you need to understand, if you've never been born again, if you've never been saved by the blood of Christ, you need to realize the love of God for you, what he's done for you. And so to receive him, the Bible makes it clear, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Not might be, not maybe, not perhaps, will be saved. If you call upon him and ask for his salvation, he will save you. And God is able to save you from your sin. God is willing to save you from your sin. And He is waiting to save you from your sin if you are without Christ. But if you do not pray, if you do not call upon Him, He will not save you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for this day. I thank You, O God, that in Your Word, you have made it clear that you are able to intervene on our behalf. You're willing to do so, but you're waiting for us to call upon you. And Lord, I pray that if there are those here who have received you as their Savior, they've, they've lost hope, they've stopped praying, they've been discouraged, they've been disheartened, they've stopped seeking your face. God, might they see and be encouraged and helped they might find courage to pray to you and seek you. Lord, if there are some here who have never received you as their Savior, God, might your Holy Spirit continue to draw them to yourself that they might call upon you and be saved today. Lord, I pray and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand. We're going to sing Just As I Am. As we sing Just As I Am, maybe you're here and you need Christ as your Savior. Would you just come forward this morning during this time? Somebody will take you aside and pray with you so you can receive Christ. As we uh, have this time, would you come as we sing, just as I am? disheartened, I've stopped praying, I'm going to commit today to start seeking you again. I'm going to seek you earnestly. I'll be a person of earnest prayer. Seek your face. Maybe you want to come and you want to pray this time, take this time and say, I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek God's face. You come as we sing on that second verse. Or maybe just set in your seat.
just one more verse we'll sing together. Um, as, I, as the Lord brought to my mind, maybe you're here. You've been saved. You've received Christ as your Savior, but you've never been scripturally baptized. You've never been baptized uh, by immersion uh, to show your obedience to the Lord. Maybe you need to come and be baptized. You come as we sing and say, I'm going to get baptized. Just as I am, though tossed about with in prayer today. And uh, tonight at 6 o'clock, we'll look at uh, John chapter 8 once more, uh, where Jesus says, I, uh, you will know the truth, and, I, and the truth will set you free. Father, we praise you and thank you for your word. Help us to love it, to love you because of it, to follow you in your word. We thank you for this day, O Lord. We bless you and praise you. We ask it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. You're dismissed.